children and youth head to the back. Good morning. Um, this week we're continuing our sermon series about encountering Emmanuel. Again, this season of Advent is one that's filled with waiting, expectation, and celebration. Uh, we've been challenged to kind of hold Advent, not just in focusing on Christ coming the one time, or Christ coming as a baby. We're saying that we need to hold on to all aspects of Advent, which teaches us that, yes, Christ has come in the past, being the form of the baby, but also points us to the second coming. Christ will come again. And I think the challenge for all of us in this great in-between is the realization of holding on to this truth that Christ desires to come today. Christ desires to come every single day in us, right? So we're trying to hold these three things together. Um, to kind of walk us through Advent, we usually use the themes of hope, peace, joy, and love. This year, though, we're focusing on the idea of encountering Emmanuel. So not to say that Christ has come, but what does the knowledge that God is with us do? What is that knowledge that God is with us? How does that carry us as we live in this in-between of what God has done and what God will do? And one of the ways we, we summarized it, at least last week, we talked about how looking at these stories of, of Christ's birth as an intentional implementation of the plan of God. And to do that, we're, we're going after, or, or at least uh, opening the door and, and enlightening on, on different groups that had this encounter of God with us. So we talked about hope, we talked about the prophets of old, right? And how they dreamed of a day and trusted in what God had done, trusted in what God will do, that God was going to send a Savior, a Messiah, a Lord, a King. Last week, we, we went to the angels and said how these great messengers of God bring us peace. How the great messengers of God not only worship and stand in the face of God, but when they come to earth, yes, we're afraid, but usually they bring a news, a, a good news of peace. And we'll see a little bit of that again today. Uh, but, but today's focus is on joy. So again, as we focus on what, what or we think about what God has done or what God will do, and living in this now, is we're, we're asking God to, to open our eyes when we see these encounters between the already and the not yet. So kind of our question this morning is the same question we're just changing the word every week, right? Our question this morning as we go to the text, as we kind of open the scriptures, is, is how does encountering Emmanuel bring joy? Right? How does this idea that God is with us bring joy? Joy in me, joy to the people around me, joy to creation, joy to, to whoever my people are, right? Whatever my place is, how does me encountering Emmanuel bring joy? I think we got a little bit of that answer to our story this morning as we learn about these shepherds and how encountering Emmanuel not only changed their lives, but set forth God's implemented plan for the world. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. I'll be reading verses 8 to 20. Again, Luke chapter 2, 8 to 20. We'll have it up front so you can follow there as well, starting in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. 
When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Let's pray to God. Father God, we thank you that you are indeed the God of joy. So this morning, Lord, we ask you to help us. Help us to leave the comfort and safety to follow you. Help us to seek after you. Help us to be and rest in your presence. And then help us to go out. Because, Lord, when we leave what we know, we can have joy by what you know and what you reveal to us. When we're willing to seek after you, we can have joy that you desire to be found. And, Lord, when we be and rest in your presence, we can have joy that God is with us in the now. And Lord, we can not only leave and see and be in your presence with joy, but you've called us to go out and give joy to our world. To the joy that we know, the joy of the gospel, the good news that God is with us. May that be the witness of our lives. May that be the love in our actions. May that be the peace to our neighbor. May that be the hope for our world. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So as I like to do when we go through these series, I always like to start off with things that we understand, right? Hope, peace, joy, and love are not just church words, right? They're words we use every day. You know, so some people, when they think about hope, they think about the light. This morning I was woken up with my two daughters, but apparently there was snow out there. Right? And, and they felt that at 6.30 in the morning, I needed to know, right? But I wasn't very delighted, but they were. And they were just sharing their joy, right? So that was a lesson before this sermon. I was just like, thank you for sharing your joy. This is what we're supposed to do, people, right? So for some of us, joy is just delight, right? And for my kids, it was snow this morning, right? Uh, for some people, it's just when you meet someone genuine and authentic, right? It just delights your soul. For me, mostly, it's when I eat a good meal. That delights my soul. Right? For others of us, delight comes from laughter. You ever laugh so hard you can't help but, like, cry, right? You laugh so hard you shake. You laugh so hard you roll over. That's delightful. For some people, that's joy. For other people, joy comes as jubilation, right? It's like happy tears and a job well done. Have you ever seen a master cast woman or a cast man create something and they just look at it with that pride, right? Have you ever seen an athlete, for example? My favorite thing is how many athletes love Jesus, right? And it's just like, I just want to thank the Lord for helping me win the Super Bowl. It's like, really? That's what Jesus was doing. Like, he didn't care about anything else but you winning the Super Bowl. What about the guy who lost? That's just me. That's my internal dialogue that happens, right? But the point is, right, when the athletes, they celebrate, they delight not only the journey, but the accomplishment. And so the jubilation comes from that. So it's the same thing for, for those of you who have ever been to plays, and, and you see when they come out, they take that bow, right? It's not they're not taking a bow because they're pride. They're taking a bow because it's a job well done. They put blood, sweat, and tears into it, right? So for a lot of people, joy is that jubilation. For others of us, joy is just bliss, right? Wherever your happy place is, right? Whatever, when you think of happy place, and let's keep it healthy, when you think of happy place, right, what brings you joy to be in that happy place? That bliss that you feel, for others, that's what joy is. But again, biblical joy isn't just the light, jubilation, the bliss. That's only the beginning. And what we find out in the story of the shepherds is that biblical joy can be seen in encountering Emmanuel. 
Right? Joy is celebrating God's blessings. We've defined that the last three or four years, right? We looked at uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah, and we said, look at their story. They were faithful people. They were holy people. They were priestly families. But they had this burden because they wanted a child. And it was a burden that they lived with. It was a burden that they prayed and prayed and prayed for. And there's a lot of people that I know who are struggling with this same burden, right? But the thing about their culture that was even harder on them is that they were supposed to be a priestly couple. And this was children were a sign of God's blessing. So how can the priestly couple not even have a child? They have to not only face the burden of, of infertility, but they have to face the burden of judgment for people who were supposed to be their community lifting them up. And then so when, when the, 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 the Gabriel comes to Zechariah, you can see why he was a little shocked, right? And the Gabriel's like, listen, there's a child coming. You're going to have a child. He's like, are you sure? I need a child. And then I love God because the humor's like, you need a sign. You ain't going to talk no more. Right? It's just like, that's your sign, right? Like, I'm going to give you all the signs, but when you leave here, you ain't going to talk to that baby's born, right? But, but in, in this celebration of community and coming together, we learn that joy is celebrating God's blessing. And it might not be infertility coming to fertility for you. It just might be whatever you consider God's blessing in your life. Are you actually celebrating it? Right? Because a lot of us, we, we heard that, at least when I grew up in, in, in church, joy had a great nemesis, right? Um, I'm not going to call anyone out, right? I'm going to catch myself. That was what we call like a, like a self-screening exercise. I caught myself, right? It doesn't happen often, so you can celebrate with joy, right? But I grew up hearing these sermons where joy's great nemesis was happiness, right? It felt like we had to like differentiate between joy and happiness, like happiness is temporary, joy is forever, right? And I'm like, why can't you have both? Like, it just feels like we don't need to like separate and have a civil war between joy and happiness. We get that they're distinctly different, but they don't have to knock up against each other. Because here's the thing about joy that God desires to give us. It's not just meant to be known. It's meant to be felt. Like all of life's great emotions, right? Love isn't just meant to be known. It's meant to be felt. Peace isn't just meant to be known. It's meant to be felt. Right? And we get to sing with joy. That the joy that God wants to give us is meant to be felt. So then, how do we celebrate these blessings of God? You know, this year as I was thinking about this and thinking about the shepherds, I was, I was kind of reminded uh, about how Jesus talks about joy and how joy can be found, right? If you watch the vlog this week, I talked about Luke 15. And in those three stories, Jesus is talking about joy in every single one of them. In each story, something valuable is lost, whether it's a sheep. Or a coin, which actually translates to a paycheck, so it's way more than a coin, it's a big coin, right? Or, or two sons. And in each one of these stories, right? Like, like the, the, the shepherd is willing to what? To leave to go find that joy, right? To leave the 99 and to go out and bring that one sheep back home. Like the lady who lost her paycheck, right? Like, I think when I read this as a kid, I'm just like, she just lost a quarter, it can't be that cute. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, you're doing more work for that quarter than, like, just, it'll show up eventually, right? But then when you actually break down the Greek and you realize it's a whole paycheck, you're like, well, actually, she ain't look hard enough. You know, like, that house would have been flipped all over, right? But in each one of these stories, when the valuable thing is lost, when it's found, it's celebration. 
And I think what I love about the celebration, about the lost coin and the paycheck and the seat, is that it's not just celebration by the humans in the story, the celebration in heaven. Right? And Jesus says, listen, you think that's amazing? You think it's amazing to find that lost paycheck? I know we're cynical. We're just like, that's why I do direct deposit. You know, I got it. Right? But you think it's, it's amazing to find that lost paycheck? You think it's amazing to find that lost seat? When one person, one person, chooses to follow Jesus, all of heaven rejoices. That's amazing. We heard a story this morning about one family choosing to follow Jesus, right? One woman who was invited, hears the gospel in her language, chooses to follow Jesus. And we say, well, amen, hallelujah. But you know what's even greater than our hallelujah is that heaven stops. Heaven rejoices every time one person comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And that's the whole message of the parable of the lost sons, right? And I love that, that, that story because it's not we who are waiting for joy. It's God the Father. It's not we who are doing the work. It's God the Father. It's not we who earn the forgiveness, who earn the, 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 the robe and the, 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 the ring. It's not we who earn the Father's love. It's the Father who runs to us. And that's the beauty of that story because you don't need to leave home to find joy. Joy is with the Lord. And that's the story for some of us who stay home, grew up in the church, right? And we're better at those people who get to live out there and live however they want, and God forgives them too. But here's the thing, God forgives you too. And just because you stayed in church doesn't mean you stay close to the Father. Just because you come to church doesn't mean you even know the love of the Father. And the story there is that you can be found too, and that heaven belongs to you. All that I have is yours, says the Lord. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach us in Luke 15, right? That whatever is valuable isn't as valuable as you, but you can be found. So we have to hold on to all these ideas of joy because in these stories, Joy is leaving the 99 to bring the seat back home. Joy is a seeking, right? It's seeking and flipping the whole house until you find that paycheck. But it's also found in just being in God's presence. It's also found in going out with joy. And I think if you have that mindset of what joy can be, it helps us when we get to Luke chapter 2. Now what's interesting in Luke chapter 2 is that you don't realize, at least maybe not, maybe I can put this on you. I didn't realize how much we've added on to this Luke story, right? N.T. Wright has this great example where he says, you know, a lot of times when you read through the, 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 the Gospels, you read through the stories of God, you have to think about it as like someone who, I don't have time, right? Like, I, I just don't. Like, I just, I'm sorry, right? Like, I, that's don't belong in the house, you know? Like, I love when people are like, well, your children are going to teach you. I'm like, listen, we're Africans. Like, they're still working on opinions and thoughts, right? Like, like, they're still working on having opinions and thoughts. Like, I don't, I don't do this westernization. It's like, my kid wants a dog, they get a dog. I don't understand that, right? So I'm just forgiving, right? This is forgiving, right? But the point I'm making here is just simply this, right? When you point to something, the dog doesn't always go to what you're actually pointing at, right? What does the dog look at? Your finger, right? And, and so what N.T. Wright says is, like, when we read the scripture, like God's actually pointing to something, and we're like staring at the finger, like, wow, that's amazing. Wow. Look at the animals that are doing there, you know? Like, look at God coming in the middle of the mess, right? Like, we're looking at the finger, missing the entire point, right? And I say all that to 
say because I missed a lot of nuggets in the story too. Right? And so we're going to unpack some of that. The first one that we learned is that Joseph and Mary have been summoned to the house of David, right? To the city of David, right? And so one of the things we think about in this is that, like, well, yeah, um, Joseph is, you know, from the line of David. But what did we learn last week? Mary is also from the line of David. And when you're taking the taxes, the government doesn't usually say, no, I know you're going to be married, or I know you're married, only one of you has to pay taxes. Right, like, like only one of you gets to pay taxes. Like, government doesn't say that, right? So Joseph and Mary are traveling. We get that part. But what we forget is that they probably weren't traveling alone. And there's several reasons for that. One, the trip from Nazareth to, to Bethlehem might be a week long. Right? Uh, not only is it a week long, if you remember some of the stories that Jesus told about the dangerous roads, right? Remember the good Samaritan? He was traveling alone. That didn't quite work out. I mean, eventually it worked out, right? But like, initially it did not work out at all, right? So on these uh, dangerous roads, you would want to travel literally in town. Because if you're by yourself, you're more of a target. If you're with a woman who's about to give a child, you're probably even more of a target, right? So when they're traveling, they're traveling with family. They're probably traveling with the extended family. And another way we can say this is because they all got to pay taxes too, right? Like, so it's not just Mary and Joseph. So I want you to kind of frame this out that there's the whole uh, family or their extended family that's traveling together to Nazareth, right? And as they get to the city of David, we find out in Luke 2, Luke says, listen, Jesus is born. We're like, that's amazing, right? He's born wearing and wrapping in swaddling cloths. And, and most of us don't even know what swaddling cloths are. We're like, yes, swaddling cloths, right? But the idea was that, you know, before we had the technological advances, these cloths were actually designed, right, to protect the baby. So you would wrap them in a way that it would keep from bumps and, and bruising and to, to keep the baby, not, not just, you know, protected, but to keep the baby unblemished, if you will, right? Unharmed, if you will. Innocent, if you will. So, so, so that's what we find out. But here's the one that blew my mind. I didn't realize how much of my westernization I brought to this story. There's no room for them in the end. I tend to think of that as like a hotel. You know, just like, I show up like, no vacancy. I guess I'll go to the next one. No vacancy. I guess I'll go to the next one. That's not what they're talking about. In fact, the Greek word for end that's used is kataluma, right? And kataluma means basically a cave entrance. Right? And if you, you study a little bit about ancient Near Eastern uh, 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 culture, but also just houses, a lot of their houses were built either in caves or on top of caves. So that's the whole idea of the wooden barn. First of all, I don't think that, I, I, there's probably like three of them. But there's not a lot of wooden barns in Israel to this day, right? Like, it's just like, wood just wouldn't survive well there, right? So I'm sorry you got to go home from me, you're throw away your crutches and blame names. That's not on me, right? I'm just, I'm just telling you what was happening in Jesus' time. What happens in your time, that's on you, right? But there wasn't necessarily a wooden barn, right? It wasn't like they were sent out because there's no room in the hotel. The end probably points to that a lot of families actually would build a house either in the cave or on top of a cave, and they would live on the second floor. Now, the first floor would either serve as the guest room, or if you were privileged enough, you would have some animals, right? And so your animals might hang out there. And then the other thing that's important, too, is that, like, the, the troughs were not wooden either, because, again, they didn't have wood. You know, like, it was this wooden trough that was there. What's fascinating about this is that Jesus isn't denied from the hotel or the motel that he in. Is that more than likely Mary and Joseph, because they're traveling with family, they can't all sit on the second floor. And I don't know about you, but if a lovely sister of mine was ready to give birth, I'm going to give her all the space she needs. That's just me. 
You know, like, I'm not going to want to be crowded on the second floor, right? So, so when they see in that, that, that they, I want you to picture almost a cave on the first floor, and like that's where they are. Now, some of us might be sitting there like, yeah, we just put them out there. You know, we just stay out there. Maybe that's true. But the point I want you to hold on to is wasn't like they were knocking around, right? Remember, both Mary and Joseph are from the line of David. Bethlehem is the city of David. So there's a good chance where they're staying is in a hotel, but probably a distant family relative. I think all of that is important because we tend to look at Mary and Joseph as like out there on their own, just struggling to make it. But remember, we serve a God who's intentionally implementing his plan for the world. God's not going to leave you out on your own by yourself, especially if you're a teenage girl with a virgin birth about to happen. God's not just going to be like, let me put you in the stable with the animals. Good luck. Right? Like, that's not what God's doing here. And so what's the other thing that kind of blew my mind, I heard this on a, a podcast, and I was like, hmm, did I just miss this all the time? So I went back and I got my trusted scholars, and I was like, did y'all just not talk about these? I just skip over the part in the reading, right? And here's another thing that's fascinating. Just called December 25th, right? Like, I think the kids have left. But even if they haven't, it's okay, right? Just breathe, right? Just breathe. There's not many scholars who think Jesus was born December 25th. But there's not, right? Like, let's just, just have that. Let's just put that out there, right? One of the things that Christianity did, and this is a little bit of a historical note, is that, like, we would see things that society values, and we would Christianize them. Like, that's just something we did. We're like, oh, all y'all going to come together as a family? Let's talk about Jesus when we come together as a family. Like, that's something we do. And, and literally, December 25th doesn't really come until the Romans become Christians. And as we learn, it's just why the story, they're not Christians yet. You know, like, they're literally trying to kill the Jews, right? So, so when the Romans become Christians, that holiday that celebrated something that was quote-unquote pagan, the Christians is like, you know what, let's just make this about Jesus, right? And here's the proof. If that's uncomfortable, I'm sorry, it's the truth. But just go with it, right? But here's some of the proof, right? We learn in the story that the shepherds are doing what? Watching the sheep at night. Shepherds usually tend to do that in this part of the world in, in, in June, July, August, maybe spring into summer. Because this December 25th would be the cold winter rainy season. And shepherds love their sheep, but they're not going to be out at night watching sheep in the cold rain. It's just not going to happen, right? Like, that's not what they did. So the shepherds would usually watch in the sheep in, summer, in the spring and summer. And how we know that is if you go to Israel to this day, some people believe they know where the shield is, but the angels came down with the shepherds, and they're still watching sheep at this spring and summer. Like, it's still happening, right? And, and here's another thing that's even more beautiful than that part, right? December 25th, I'm sorry, it's not really that part. It's not that part. You got three, right? But here's what's beautiful about that part, is that this is God, again, intentional implementation. Right? I like to think this is just some random shepherds hanging out, watching sheep. The angel shows up. There's a lot more evidence within the text than in scholarship that says that, like, actually, these are shepherds. Because part of their job was to keep the sheep for the temple sacrifice. Right? So that's why they were close to Bethlehem because, again, whenever there was a sacrifice, people would go day and night. People would bring all different levels. The priests had such an outcry of people and such a need for sheep that they had their own private staff of shepherds to give the sheep. And guess what the sheep have to be? Unblemished, unharmed, unjeweled. So, so these weren't just random shepherds killing in the night. These might have been actually temple-assigned shepherds whose job was to provide the lamb for the slaughter. 
the lamp for the worship. God doesn't just randomly do things. There's an intentional implementation of his plan. And guess how they would protect the sheep? They would wrap the sheep in swaddling clothes to keep the sheep from being bumped and bruised, right? To keep the sheep innocent and unharmed so they could be ready for the pain. Hold on to that picture. Because you'll see, even the language that the angel gives into the, to the shepherds is God's intentional plan, right? So these shepherds aren't just going to go randomly look around Bethlehem and I get into your first floor. They're going to know what to look for. I think that's a beautiful thing that God does here. So when we meet these shepherds, right, they're just about living their best life. Now, the other thing I think is, is, is kind of important for us to point out is that we have cleaned up shepherds from the early Christians or even Old Testament people, right? Like David was a shepherd. God is my shepherd. We look at shepherd way more highly than anyone back then did. Like, like shepherds were not good. Like, they, they literally thought if you were a shepherd, you had to be a bad person. Like, you're a pale repeat. And part of that came from shepherds were thought of as unclean. Before they went into the temple, there was all sorts of washing they had to do and days they had to stay away. If you're a shepherd, right? I'm just forget even the, the ritual washing. Just think about being clean. Like, how do you work with sheep for 15, 20 hours a day and stay clean enough for the temple? So they were thought of as unclean. They were thought of as dishonest. They were thought of as people who were bad reputation. I think that's interesting. That God sees God chooses to go and find us. They remind us that that our society, our culture, our family, ourselves might think more lower of ourselves than we really are. But God sees us. God thinks all of us are worthy. All of us are vulnerable. All of us are available for His love. And it's these unclean, dishonest, overpute shepherds who are not even worthy to worship in the temple. Think about that for a second, right? They prepare the sheep for the temple, but they're not allowed into worship if they're unclean. And that's who God chooses. That's who God chooses to reveal that His Son is coming. And it makes sense to think about Mary. We talked about Mary a little bit last week, right? It's one thing to say, yeah, she's from a priestly line, and, and Joseph is from the kingly line, both from David, but one's a priest, one's a king, right? But as we go further on in Luke, and when they show up to the temple for their sacrifice, they give what, according to Leviticus, is the sacrifice of very poor people. Mary herself is now a teenage mother who, yes, Joseph may have now believed her, but she's still living within a culture and a society where she's a teen mom and her explanation is like, the, the spirit came upon me and I got pregnant. Right? Like, like, that's what she's still living among that culture and people. Yet, yet Mary, who's of this low state, this poor lady, a uh, low economic status, right, is now literally in the low end of the house, maybe among the animals. That's who God chooses to bring his son into the world. Never think that you're not good enough for God's love. Never think that what you've done eliminates you from God's love. Never think that what somebody says about you and who you are, or even what they've done to you, makes you unworthy of God's love. And this isn't just, oh, God loves everybody. But this is God sees everybody. And God can use everybody. So these shepherds, just doing their regular, and I love that too. They didn't go to bed and say, you know what, it's Tuesday night, I expect God to happen right now, right? It's just a regular Tuesday night. It might not have been Tuesday, but it's only seven nights, so I just pick one, right? right? It might have been Tuesday, you don't know either, right? It was just a regular night. And all they were doing in that spring or summer night 
was watching over their sheep when God shows up. They have this encounter, not just with the angel, but with the idea that God is now with us. And that angels terrify, right? And I love this. Right? I love how consistent the Bible is, right? There's a lot of times you read the Bible like, no, no, this is hard to find consistency. Angels always terrify. Like always. There's never a time where someone says, this is an angel. Wow, awesome. Nice to meet you. You know what I'm saying? It's never. It's like, ah, you know? Like, whenever someone has to greet you with, do not be afraid, there's a good chance you're afraid, right? But I love that though the angel's presence terrifies, they still bring this message of Jesus. And what is the message? The anointed one, the Messiah, has been born. And he's going to be joy, not just for you, shepherds, not just for Israel, but for all the people. The Messiah has been born. And I love what Luke says about it. Luke uses intentional language, right? Because in that culture, Augustus Caesar was seen as the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord. He was seen as the bringer of peace. But what a wild concept. Augustus might have been Caesar's adopted son, but he killed a bunch of people to get his throne. Augustus might have been the, the ruler of the Roman Empire, but he was only Lord that lasted temporarily. He saved himself, not necessarily his people. He thought of himself as the Son of God, but wasn't the Son of God. And then you have the baby Jesus, who's truly the Lord and Savior of the world, who's sent not just to deliver his people, but to deliver the whole world. Who's the king above all kings? Who's the son of God who doesn't kill for power, but actually lays down his life so that we could be seen? And what's fascinating is what happens is that Rome and their leader, Herod, is trying to wipe out Jewish kings. That's what's also happening in the story. But what happens in this first four pages? When this baby is born and put in this, this stone trough, is the start of God's class with the world is ever seen. Within one century, Rome wants to kill and destroy. And now it's trying to wipe out all its followers. Within three centuries, the Roman Empire becomes a No one would have predicted it that night when they're running for their lives and hiding in the king's basement. Within three centuries, God saved that entire region. And, and what's also fascinating to me, remember what we said about the people. He prepared the sheep for the temple sacrifice. They wrapped the sheep in clothing. So these shepherds, when they get to Bethlehem, and Bethlehem wasn't even that big back then, when they get to Bethlehem, they don't have to worry about going up the stairs or climbing the wall. I don't know how they got to the second floor. I'm guessing they could, right? They don't have to worry about going to the second floor. They can just walk around looking, 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 looking. Because first of all, there's a baby in the, in the first four days, right? But second of all, this baby would be what? Wrapped in swaddling cloth. We may have missed it, but they would not have. And I love that about God. How God takes something that's so familiar to us that we know, and it enhances it, right? Their whole life, this is what they did. They wrapped the sheep and prepared it for the slaughter, or prepared it for the worship, and prepared it for the temple. And when they saw that baby Jesus, they said, oh my goodness, everything that the angel said is true. And don't you love that? That God can send a whole angel to you, give you whole messages, but when you get there, you're like, well, I guess it's true. <laughs> I guess it's true. Yeah, it really happened. Where's the baby, you know? But when they get this message before they even get to the baby, 
I love that this good news, right? Again, contrasting, right? It's, it's greeted, or at least enhanced, by a heavenly choir who sings, right? And that's just beautiful. I wish we did this, right? Like, it's just like every time a baby was born, one of the things they did culturally was a choir would come and sing to the baby. Right? Like, like, that's what they did. Like, when babies were born, like, family five that can afford it would get the choir to come and sing to the baby. So I love that God says, that's what's in your culture. You got people that sing. I'm going to get my angels to come and sing to my family. Right? And so these angels, they sing, and they, 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 they sing the good news, right? And they leave and go back to heaven. The, the shepherds go to Bethlehem. They see the land. They seek out Mary and Joseph. They find the Messiah. But what I love is after finding it and Jesus and spending time with them, what do they then do? They go out and tell their friends. They go out and share their joy. So when we say, how does encountering Emmanuel bring us joy? Well, the first one is just let it be a reminder that we ought to be celebrating God's blessings. However God bless you, you ought to be giving thanks to God for those blessings. You ought to be celebrating that your God is good. You ought to be celebrating that your God sees you. You ought to be celebrating that your God's got you. You ought to be celebrating that your God loves you. Your God redeemed you. He delivered you. He saved you. We ought to be celebrating God's blessings. But the shepherds also then teach us, though, that sometimes we might be doing our everyday things, doing what, what normally comes to us. But sometimes we might have to, to leave the safe and secure because God has called us to Right? And it might mean going to San Francisco. I can't say the Mexican word because I'm going to butcher it, but the other San Francisco, the real San Francisco, we'll go that way, right? The first San Francisco, maybe. Or it just might mean actually going to say hi to the neighbor next door and inviting them for a meal sometime, right? And it might mean that that boss that is just aggravating you all the time, you bring him an apple like a school, like, here you go, eat something and stop talking, eat, you know? The point I'm making is that Whatever is considered safe and secure, it doesn't always look like our faith. Right? Like, think about your life. We want the safe and secure, but sometimes God might be calling us out of our comfort zone, and that's okay. Aren't you glad those shepherds didn't hear the message of God and stay in their comfort zone? Maybe God's calling you to, to, to show your joy by, by leaving that comfort zone. But it's not just leaving the comfort zone. Like, I, in academics, they do this all the time. They're like, we just want you to go out of your comfort zone to be stretched. And I'm like, but for what? They're like, I don't know that part. You know, just like, you just need to be stretched. But for what? I don't know, right? When we leave our comfort zone, it must be to seek out the truth. Because that's what they did, right? They didn't just leave the field because they were like, well, it's not comfortable. Let's leave the field. They were actually seeking the home, seeking the safety. If my faith has become normal and, and comfortable, like, I have to take a step back and say, how am I seeking the sacred place? Because that's what they did, right? And, and it calls us, I love this one, to sometimes sit with the miracle. I've talked about this for a couple of years now, because someone in this church told me, like, I keep track of a prayer journal, and every time God answers, I put a star there, and every time I feel down, I go back and I read through that prayer journal. I'm like, that's beautiful. I need to do that too. I don't write, but I got type. You know, you put a journal, you put a, a document on your computer, right? It's helpful to sit with the miracle. Because life is hard. It's helpful to remember how God has been good. Because you might wake up tomorrow morning and not sure he even exists. It's helpful to hold on to how God has brought you through. Because you might get blinded to God is even bringing you through right now, right? So whatever you need to do to sit with the miracles of what God's done for you, do that. 
sake and be with the Lord. And then lastly, and we're going to end things with Tyler Don Martin. Lastly, if you have this joy, that is God's blessing to us. If you have this joy that comes from challenging us to grow and to seek out the sacred and to sit with the miracles that God's done, we ought to be telling the story. Aren't you glad that the shepherds, even though they were unclean, lowly, not thought of as honest or good people, they still told the story? Most of us don't have those four things hanging out of us, right? I hope. Right? And most of us, in our people we hang out with, they don't think of us as dishonest, unworthy, right? And most of us have probably a little bit more social capital than these shepherds did. And they still told the story of Jesus. That's our excuse. That's our excuse. And again, they're not telling that they, 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 they went to these people and say, I will explain to you the virgin birth. Or I will explain to you the Trinity. Or I explain to you everything that just happened. All they did and all they're asked to do is to tell the story of what God's done for them. What God's done in them and what God has shown them. And that's all we ought to be doing. Praise God for joy that we can celebrate. And praise God for joy that we can leave home to find. We can seek to find. We can be in His presence to find. But I pray that all of us are going to tell Jesus. Amen? Let's invite up the worship team. We'd love to pray for you. So maybe you want to respond to something in the service or, or there's something going on in life. We'd love to pray for you for that as well. But as we sing this song, go tell it on the mountain. May we just hold on to this joy that God's given us and think of ways, maybe maybe new ways for some of us, or maybe just uh, other, other ways that even this week, we can find a way to tell the story of what God's done in us, through us, and for us. Let's stand and sing together. Oh, uh-huh.
One of my friends um, that I love dearly loves to remind me that, that joy is revolutionary, right? Um, and as a, as a kid who grew up with Civil War, when you say revolution, I think dumb. Some people say, I don't like revolution. Like, I just blow that, right? But, but what she reminds me is that we live in a world where we're, 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 we're fighting to hold on to our joy. Or we're fighting to keep people from feeling our joy. Or, or we don't even know what joy feels like. And so what she reminds me that joy is revolutionary is that by intentionally celebrating God's blessings, by intentionally speaking after what God's done and sitting with what God's done, by intentionally saying, God, I am grateful for you and the joy that you've blessed me through Jesus Christ, that's revolutionary to the world. Because here's the thing, you don't have to hold on to Jesus as if someone can steal him, right? You don't have to worry about someone taking Jesus and running away with Jesus. Your Jesus is still there, just like my Jesus is still there, because our Jesus is here. So for her, when she says joy is revolutionary, it's this reminder that when we choose joy, when we choose joy, we not only look different than our world, but we just might inspire our world to hope and peace and love too. Amen. Our Father, our God, we thank you so much for the blessing of joy, the blessing we see in the story of the shepherds who were minding their business and doing what they rightly did, yet God showed up. We thank you for the message of the angel, the song of the angels, the reminder that what was regular to them can be enhanced by you. God, I thank you for meeting them where they're at. I thank you that their status by their society didn't limit your love and your meaning and your plan for them, Lord. So, Lord, I thank you that they were willing to leave the comfort, to seek after the sacred, to sit with the miracle, and then to go and tell. And, Lord, I pray that joy can be revolutionary for us, too. Help us, Lord to leave the safe and secure, to seek after you, the sacred, to sit with one of the miracles you've done for us, and to be people who go and tell. Lord, we might not have mountains to climb, but we got words to speak. We got histories to reveal. We got miracles to share. We've been filled with your love, your hope, your peace, your joy. Lord, help us to be people who get this to our world, that same love, Hope, peace, and joy. Joy to the world, the Lord is coming. Joy to the world, the Lord is coming. Joy to the world, the Lord desires to come to the In the holy and precious name we pray. Amen? God bless you all.